Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday for the audio version, or you can head over to my YouTube channel, Haley Elizabeth, to watch the visual version every Wednesday. And for today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of the Worley children. Now, there is a lot to get through, so we are just going to hop right into it. But before starting the case, I do want to give a quick content warning that this case does include topics such as child abuse and the murder of children. So, if that is something that you're very, very sensitive to, I would suggest skipping over that part when we get to it, but I just wanted to mention that before starting the case. In 2016, in a small town named Darlington, Indiana, with a population of about 900, lived the Worley family. The family consisted of 30-year-old Brandy Worley, her husband, 31-year-old Jason Worley, and their two children, 7-year-old Tyler Daniel Clinton Worley, and their daughter, 3-year-old Charlie Rose. Jason and Brandy met in the mid-2000s and ended up getting engaged back in 2007 and then got married two years later in 2009. And it was in that same year of 2009 where Brandy would grow pregnant with her very first child, Tyler. And it was always Brandy and Jason's dream to have a big family. They wanted, you know, that typical family dream house lifestyle. They wanted, you know, a big house with a big backyard to raise their family and kind of live in a small town, a nice town where their kids can grow up. And that is in that same exact year of 2009 when they moved to Darlington. In Indiana, they ended up moving to a home on South Madison Street. Tyler was born in 2009, and as he got older, he attended the Sugar Creek Elementary School and was said to be a really, really good student. Tyler was said by his teachers to basically light up every classroom. Tyler was a very outgoing child. He could make friends with literally everyone, and his favorite thing in the world was Pokemon. He was obsessed with Pokemon. He loved to watch it. He loved to collect the cards, trade the cards. And he also really, really enjoyed sports as well. Any sort of sport, he loved basketball, soccer, football, baseball. And it was actually Tyler's dream at a very young age to grow up to be like his father and work with computers because Jason was actually a software engineer. And then in 2013, when Tyler was four years old, that is where Brandy would grow pregnant with her second child, Charlie. And typically when, you know, you already have another kid that's a little older, sometimes introducing a baby into the family is a very 50-50% chance that they are going to get along. But as for Tyler and Charlie, they got along so, so well. Tyler absolutely adored his little sister. He was constantly giving her hugs and kisses and reading to her. And even as they got older, when Charlie was three years old, she attended the Will 
Wilson Early Learning Center preschool. And Tyler and Charlie, even though they were super young, they were best friends. They did everything together. And although Charlie was just three years old, she had a lot of talent for just three years old. She was very active like Tyler and did many things. Charlie was in dance classes and would frequently do dance recitals. She also went to basketball camp and loved playing dress up as well as watching her favorite movie Frozen. So even though she was so young, she already had such a bright personality and just so much to give to the world. And as for Brandy, she was a stay-at-home mother while Jason went out most of the day to go work. And it was said from a lot of their neighbors, as I said, this was a super small town. They said that Brandy and Jason's family seemed like a really, really good family. I mean, their kids were super outgoing and they were friends with basically every other kid in the neighborhood. And so their whole family just seemed to be a picture-perfect family. And even Tyler, Tyler and Charlie at school, their teachers were constantly saying how much of a joy it was to have them in the classroom. The kids did not really act out. They didn't really misbehave. And even to the teachers, it seemed like Charlie and Tyler were the happiest kids in the world. They were very respectful. They had lots of manners. They were always making sure to include other kids. And they just seemed like, you know, they had a lot of love at home. And that's why people assumed that this household was probably a very loving household. But unfortunately, on the outside, although their family looked to be like a picture-perfect family, on the inside, there were many, many issues. In early of 2016, Jason Worley would take to Reddit in the subreddit r slash relationship advice to ask people about his relationship and seeking advice on what he should do. And so in early of 2016, that is when Jason would make a quite lengthy Reddit post talking about how a year prior he had found out that his wife had been cheating on him and it still eats him up and he doesn't know what to do. The original post, however, the accounts that it was posted with has been deleted. So because of that, I don't know the exact date that this Reddit post had been posted, but I assume that it was in early 2016. And the title of this Reddit post was, quote, I'm 30M, 30 male, having a hard time coping with my wife, 29 female, having cheated on me with our neighbor, 51 male. Now, Jason's post is quite long, and so that's why I will be leaving a link to it in the description if you are interested in reading it all the way through. As for the video purposes, I will just tell you the main ideas and important bits of the first half, and then as for the second half, that's when I will start to read things verbatim because the second half is where things get a little bit more complicated. They're not really things you can just easily summarize. Jason starts out his post by saying that he caught his wife, Brandy, cheating on him the previous year in 2015, and it's been exactly 476 days since confronting her about it. 
He says that although it's been a little over a year, he still can't keep his mind off of it. So how did he exactly find out that his wife had been cheating on him? Well, the previous year in 2015, Jason had gotten a new job that required a lot more hours than usual. He was working 60 plus hours a week. And so on top of never really seeing his family, he was also dealing with a lot of stress from work. It wasn't until May of 2015 where he started to notice random little things about his wife that just didn't really seem right. Uh, The first thing that he had noticed was that she had put a password on her phone and then when he asked her about it, she had said that she was planning a Father's Day gift for him and she didn't want him to ruin the surprise for himself. And to this, he didn't really think much of it. He thought that it was odd because he never really went through his wife Brandy's phone, but you know, he just let it be. He didn't think too deeply into it until a couple days later, Brandy went up to him and said that she felt guilty about keeping the secret from him. So then she confessed to him that she had been in contact with their neighbor, who is a contractor, in order to build Jason a home office so that he won't have to be at work all day he can then take some of his work home and he'd be able to spend more time with his family. Now, this obviously was very important to Jason. He thought that it was very generous that Brandy was doing something like this for him, but he couldn't help deep down, but to feel a little bit odd about the situation. He mostly felt odd because Brandy, throughout their entire six years of dating, he says that Brandy has never felt guilty or regretful of any of her actions. She has always lived her life saying, you know, everything happens for a reason and I don't regret anything. I don't feel guilty about everything. I feel like that everything happens, happens for a reason. And so that is how she has lived her entire life. So the fact that she had confronted him and told him that she was in contact with a contractor about a home office and that she felt very guilty about keeping the secret from him, that is mostly what struck him as odd. But once again, he didn't really think too much of it. So as time goes on, he's trying not to think about it, but he does start to see a lot more odd things that he just simply can't brush off. There had been multiple times where he caught Brandy staring at her phone and smiling. And when Jason had asked her like, oh, what are you smiling at? She would just, you know, brush it away, say, oh, it's nothing. It's no one. I'm just reading something. But Jason gets a very bad feeling about this. So one day when Brandy is in the shower, he is able to get into her phone. And when he goes to the messages, he looks through the messages between Brandy and their neighbor, who is a contractor. He was supposed to be working on the home office saying, quote, I am all covered in frosting. You want to lick it off? But once again, Jason did not think much of this because he knew that Brandy had quite a perverted sense of humor. So he just thought, oh, this could just be her joking. This could be her playing around. But as he started to go through the messages further, he realized that this was indeed not Brandy just messing around. And so due to this, he doesn't confront Brandy about it because he's scared, he's nervous, and he just doesn't really know how to bring it up. But over time, he does notice that things are getting a little bit worse and worse. So that was the first half. Now I'm going to just read you verbatim the second half. Jason's second half of the post says, quote, 
More time goes by and the neighbor is spending more and more time at our house, but the office is being completed slower and slower. I can't help but worry about something isn't right, so I start checking her location using Google Timeline. It was at this point that I realized that there were large gaps in her GPS history because she was turning off her phone's GPS. Fast forward to July... For context, he had found out or had been noticing weird things since May, so it's like two months later. And at this point, the paranoia is driving me nuts, so I tell her that I need to install a new antivirus on her phone. While she has it unlocked for me, I install anti-theft software so that I can remotely turn the GPS back on and set up AT&T message backup and restore so I can read all her text messages from that point on my computer. And so since the kids weren't there, Jason was at work, Brandy had the whole house and the whole day to herself. And so from work, Jason was able to read all of the text messages between Brandy and the neighbor. He reads that since Brandy is alone for the day, she asks the neighbor to meet up, but the neighbor was busy with another site and couldn't hang out that day. However, the both of them had agreed to a double date that night, Brandy and Jason and the neighbor and his girlfriend. So Brandy and the neighbor were both in committed relationships during all of this. And so that night, Jason and Brandy went on a double date with their neighbor and his girlfriend and his son. The neighbor also had a son and he was around the same age as Tyler and Charlie. It was said that that whole entire night, things just kind of went per usual. He didn't notice any weird behavior between Brandy and the neighbor. He said that Brandy and the neighbor's girlfriend really got along. They were laughing, they were drinking, and then all of a sudden, the neighbor's girlfriend, she suggests, hey, that new Magic Mike XXL movie came out. Do you want to go see that tonight? And so Brandy is like, oh, you know, I'm not sure. I have the kids. I don't want to, you know, make uh, Jason's mom watch them for any longer. And that is when Jason basically just says, no, go ahead, watch the movie, go to the movies, have fun. Me and the neighbor will go home and we'll watch the kids for you. And that is exactly what happens. Brandy and the neighbor's girlfriend go out to go to the movies while uh, Jason and the neighbor go back home to watch all the kids. It was said that Jason and the neighbor were basically just downstairs hanging out while Charlie, Tyler, and his son were all upstairs in Tyler's room playing video games. And so Jason is sitting on a couch that is across from uh, the neighbor and he notices that the neighbor keeps looking at his phone and smiling. And so this is when Jason is realizing like, oh my God, he's probably texting Brandy. So Jason goes on his own phone and goes to the message backup and he is able to read all of the text messages that the neighbor is currently sending right in front of him and Brandy is sending back as she's at the movies right now. And he says that as he's sitting there, he's reading all these text messages and these text messages were very, very sexual. They were talking about all of the things they would do to one another. And at one point, Brandy had even sent a nude to the neighbor. It was a video of her 
doing things to herself in the bathroom of the movie theater and Jason is watching all of this go down. He sees Brandy like send a video to the neighbor that is sitting right in front of him and he is basically just watching all of this unfold right before him. And as Jason is just in complete awe watching this whole conversation unravel in front of him, the neighbor is saying things such as, quote, you're my girl now to which Brandy replies with quote always have been and he says quote and always will be and then afterwards they confess their love to each other and Jason says that as they start saying I love you to each other it takes every fiber in his being to not just jump across the room and start beating up this neighbor but since he wanted to keep his cool he literally had no choice but to just sit there and watch all of this happen in front of him. Okay, so similar to the last portion, I'm going to be reading verbatim what he says because this is another point in the story where things get a little complicated and it's not too easy to just summarize. So currently, Jason and the neighbor are sitting down in the living room and this is where Jason writes in his post, quote, My wife and the neighbor's girlfriend return home from the movie and I ask them politely to both sit down and then I ask the kids to stay in my son's room and shut the door. I return to the living room and confront my wife and the neighbor and I say, quote, so you two love each other, huh? My wife goes into full-blown denial mode and the neighbor's girlfriend starts smacking him. I ask my wife if she's been texting him. She says no, so I show her the text messages and she admits to it but says it was the first time it had gone that far. I ask my wife if she has sent him pictures. She says no, so I show her the picture and she admits to it but she says it was the first time. I ask her if she's having sex with him and she says no. Because I didn't want to wait to catch them having sex together, I didn't have the evidence to prove her wrong, so that one stays unresolved. I tell her that I'm leaving her. She tells me that she will make sure I will never see my kids again if I do. She planned on using the fact that I attempted suicide in high school to prove me unfit to have children. She continues to say that it was my fault for being so busy with work and stressed out that she just wanted someone she could talk to. She then gives me an ultimatum to decide what I am going to do or she will decide for me. The neighbor's girlfriend starts defending the two of them, saying that it couldn't have been that serious if they weren't having sex and that my wife and I were just too perfect together to let this break us up. The neighbors go home and my wife and I argue for the rest of the night about what we are going to do. We go to bed separately, having not resolved anything. We keep going back and forth on the subject all weekend and finally settle on we were going to separate temporarily while we figure out what we want. I was going to stay in the house and she was going to take the kids and go to her mom's house. That Monday, I go to work and I get a text from her in the middle of my meeting with my bosses stating that she explained things to our kids but they were upset and that I need to explain it to them also. I get home from work to find my kids crying. She had told them that mommy had to move out because dad was mad at her. When my son wanted to stay with me, she told him that he couldn't. My son put it together that mommy has to move out because I'm mad at her and he must move out too and that I must be mad at him. My daughter was crying because my son was. I don't think she's old enough to understand what was happening. 
It was at that moment that I realized that she was going to drag the kids through hell if I left her, so I swallowed my feelings and begged her to stay. She agreed and insisted that I apologize to our neighbor since we were going to need to hang out with them because our sons were good friends. I hate it, but I do it anyway. We still hang out with them from time to time and they come to our various birthday and holiday parties, but I do anything for my kids and I behave civil every time. Things die down for a while. I still think about it constantly. I worry how can I keep her from making her so unhappy that she cheats on me again. Then almost a year later from the original instant, around Father's Day again, she sends him pictures again. She claims it was an accident and that she meant to send them to me instead, but I don't fully believe her, but I move on anyway. And then the second half. Things have been quiet on that front for about four months now, but I still think about it constantly. This is going to sound stupid, but I feel like I have a part of my brain that can't shut off, that is always thinking. I used to use that to solve programming problems and it made me very good at my job. But ever since this incident, the only thing I think about is her and him and if I did the right thing. My job performance has suffered and I feel like I haven't gotten sleep in months. I'm afraid after this much time and the fact that I begged her back, that to say that I want a divorce now would only make her more vindictive towards my children and I. I just feel like I have put myself so deep in a hole that I can never get back out. I haven't really talked to anyone about this. I didn't want to talk to my mom about it because I feel she would treat my wife differently and I didn't need the two fighting any more than they already do. I tried talking to my one friend about it, but his advice was to put my trust in God. But that was not so much solace for me, for I am an atheist. So I have no clue what to do with my feelings or how to move on from this. End quote. And due to this post, Jason was receiving a lot of really good advice from other people, people who had been cheated on before, um, genuine advice from other single dads with children and what they went through with their ex-wives. People were saying things such as, quote, good for you, find a good woman. They are out there. Another comment said, quote, best of luck to you and your children, be strong, and kudos, I think you're making the only reasonable choice. And so to this, he receives so much love from the community and other people and people giving him advice. There were also a lot of people giving him advice on, you know, if you don't want a divorce or you feel like a divorce would do more harm than good, then they were suggesting things such as family counseling or couples counseling. And so since this post kind of went semi-viral, uh, he had posted an update to the post saying, quote, I'm taking your advice. Instead of trying to fix something she doesn't want to fix, she has refused counseling several times in the past before this even happened. I'm going to get myself and my kids out. I meet with an attorney next week. Thank you for everyone helping me see how far I had my head up my ass. So from that post, it seemed like this was a very big wake-up call for Jason. This made him realize like, wow, I can't believe I have went this long being treated this way. And he even says in his post that he is going to try to get him and his kids out of this situation and that he had already found an attorney, he was meeting with them next week, and he was finally going to get control over his life again. And to this, once again, people were 
applauding him. They said, good for you. You're, you're making the right choices. You're taking the right steps. Do what's best for you and your children. And you know, like this is going to be hard, but it'll work out. It'll all work itself out. And so the following week when he did meet with the attorney, he was given papers like divorce papers. And that night is when he served Brandy the divorce papers. He said that he wanted a divorce. He wanted full custody of the kids. And it was finally his turn to live a life he enjoyed. But then the following week on November 17th of 2016, at 4.34 a.m., a 911 call was made to the Darlington Police Station from 30-year-old Brandy Worley. Denver County 911, where's your emergency? 203 South Madison Street. In what town? Darlington. Hey, what's going on there? I just stabbed myself and I killed my two children. You stabbed yourself and killed your two children? Mm-hmm. Okay, and what's your name? Brandy Worley. Where are they? Where are the children at? In my daughter's room on in, the floor. In your daughter's room on the floor. Okay. And and what caused you to do this today? My husband wanted a divorce and wanted to take my kid. I won't want him to my kid. Okay, and how old are your children? Seven and three. Where's your husband at? Downstairs somewhere. Okay, what's his condition? I don't know, I haven't talked to him. And when you say downstairs, is he in a basement or? Yeah. What are you feeling right now? I mean, are you, are you, are you tired? Are you, where? Yeah, I took, I took a lot of Benadryl. You took a lot of Benadryl? Yeah. Okay. Is there anyone else in the residence besides your children and you and your husband? Um, I called my mom. You called your mom? What did she say? I hang up and call 911 and take me here in a second. Brandy confessed to the police that she had taken a lot of Benadryl and then she had taken a knife, went upstairs while her husband Jason was in the basement sleeping, And that is when she had stabbed to death her two children, seven-year-old Tyler and three-year-old Charlie. And then after stabbing her children, she had stabbed her own self in the neck where she left the knife in the kids' room before walking downstairs into the living room, calling her mother, and then calling the police. So Brandy's on the phone for a little while and then after that Brandy's mom actually shows up while Brandy's on the phone with the police. When the mother shows up she finds Brandy on the couch with blood covered all over her body. She's clearly very very high on Benadryl and so the grandmother Brandy's mom takes the phone away from Brandy and she starts talking to the police and so as Brandy's mom is on the phone with the police. That is when the police advise her to go upstairs and check on the children. Now, this specific part of the 911 call, I'm not going to put in because it is very, very bone chilling. It's very scary to listen. You just hear her screaming and crying and she's repeating the words, my babies, my babies. 
And at this point, during all of this, Jason was asleep in the basement because um, since they were going through a divorce right now, Brandy slept upstairs in the bedroom while Jason took like a couch that was in the basement. And so when the grandmother starts screaming, that wakes up Jason and he realizes that they're screaming. So he runs upstairs. When he runs upstairs, he sees Brandy laying on the couch half asleep and she's covered in blood. And so he runs over to Brandy and says, quote, what did you do? To which Brandy replies with, quote, now you can't take the kids away from me. So Jason immediately runs upstairs to check on his children and in Charlie's bedroom is where he discovers Brandy's mom screaming and crying and his two children lying stabbed to death on the floor. The police and an ambulance arrive about 15 minutes later and they declared both seven-year-old Tyler Worley and three-year-old Charlie Worley to be dead at the scene while Brandy laid bleeding out on the living room couch. Tyler and Charlie were both found stabbed to death in Charlie's bedroom with blankets covering them. When they brought the children in for autopsies, they found there were multiple stab wounds to the neck and they concluded that these were not quick stabs. These were definitely slow and calculated along with signs of a struggle and the coroners even declared this as an overkill. Now, if you guys don't know what an overkill is. An example I like to use often is the Lizzie Borden axe murderer case. Lizzie Borden had a lot of rage against her mother and father and so one day she took an axe and she went upstairs and hit her mother over the head with an axe 40 times and then went downstairs and hit her father over the head with an axe 41 times. Now, if your purpose was to kill someone, if you have an axe, you only need about three or four blows to the head in order to kill someone. But since in this situation, there was a lot of rage and passion behind it, she went ahead and did it 40 and 41 times, like way too much. It was past the point of the purpose being to just kill them. And that is what the people doing the autopsy had declared this as. It was definitely an overkill. The intent was to kill them, but it was done with a lot of rage and passion. So it kind of seemed as if Brandy, since she was so frustrated and overwhelmed over the divorce, she just decided to take all of that anger out on her children, unfortunately. And the detectives also made note that the type of killing this was, was a stabbing. And stabbing is actually one of the most intimate ways to kill someone because contrary to a gun, um, you're far away. You don't actually have to see them up close. But with stabbing, you are up close with the person and you actually have to watch them die from up close. So again, just making this crime a lot more passion and rage-filled. Brandy was taken to the hospital to treat the stab wounds that she had made in her neck. And surprisingly, she had made a very speedy recovery. Apparently, the stab wound in her neck was not that 
deep. So when Brandy was sobered up in the hospital, the police had asked her some questions about that night and it was said by the police that Brandy did not exhibit any remorse or emotion and explained everything with ease and in a stern voice. She just sort of told the story as if it was just that, a story. She wasn't really showing any guilt, any remorse, any trauma response. She was just saying it as if it was a normal story. Now, when Jason was questioned, he told the police um, basically everything. He told the police about the Reddit posts. He told the police about the affair that happened the year prior, the divorce papers, his meeting with the attorneys. And in the 911 call that Brandy made to the police, she even tells the police that her motive of killing her children was because her husband Jason wanted a divorce. And so in response to this, she had killed her children kind of in a way of, you know, if I can't have them, then no one can. So because of this crime being so violent and so abrupt, that is when the police ask Jason, okay, Let's take it back before you served the divorce papers. Before all of this went down, how was Brandy's behavior? Was she acting odd? Did she exhibit any of these violent tendencies, you know, days leading up to the crime to ensure that this crime wasn't premeditated? He says that the day before, on November 16th of 2016, it was a normal Thursday. He drove his kids to school in the morning and then right after he drove them to school, he was off to work while Brandy stayed at home. He said that that day his daughter Charlie had a dance recital after school, so Jason had left work early to attend the recital. Brandy himself and Tyler all went to attend Charlie's dance recital and then afterwards they came home and had dinner as a family. And while at dinner, Tyler had said that he had a project to do the next day at school and in order to finish the project, he needed pipe cleaners. So Brandy said that she was going to head out to Walmart to buy some so that he could finish his project in time. When Brandy came back from Walmart, it was around bedtime. So Jason had put the kids in their pajamas and was reading their daily bedtime story. And then in their typical routine, Jason went to Tyler's bedroom Room, tucked him in, said, good night, I love you. And then he went to Charlie's room, tucked her in and said, good night, I love you. And went downstairs to meet with Brandy. Brandy asked him if he wanted to sleep on the living room couch instead of the basement. But Jason declined her offer and said that he felt it was best if he slept in the basement. And so he just walked downstairs and went off to bed, went to sleep. And then the next thing he remembers is waking up to the screams of Brandy's mother. So this story gained a lot of attention because this was a very small town, population 900, everybody knew everybody, and so this was such a big story, not just for the town, but for just in general. 
And also the Reddit community as well. When people found this story and they found out that Jason's entire story was on Reddit, that is when all these people started to flock to this Reddit post. They were commenting, they were linking articles about what happened. People were, you know, again, giving him advice, letting him know that they're there for him, that if he needs to talk to anyone, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Just, you know, offering him encouraging words because because, you know, in a situation like this, it's very hard to know what the right and wrong thing to say to someone is. So since the story had blown up even more on Reddit, that is when Jason went back to Reddit to give another update saying, quote, thank you. I would like to give a heartfelt and sincere thank you for the advice and support I have received here. No one could have foreseen the tragedy that resulted from me filing for divorce. You guys perform a wonderful service to those in need and I hope to continue to do so in the future. So it was just something short, something sweet, but it does, you know, offer people a little bit of an insight of how he's doing right now. But it didn't take long until after this, he had basically posted on multiple other Reddit posts saying how much he regrets everything he did that night. And as I was saying earlier, how Jason's account is deleted, and that's why I didn't know the exact date of when he had posted this Reddit post, but it's assumed that this is why he deleted his account because he started to go on other Reddit posts, basically just talking about how he regrets every single decision he had made that night. He says that he felt like he wasn't able to save his children and he wishes he could just go back and protect them. He says he feels it is a father's job to protect his children and he has failed to do so. He also ponders what would have happened if he had slept on the living room couch instead of the basement. Would he have been able to save his children or would he be dead as well? He also makes another update to the Reddit post thread saying that he usually hates donations and handouts because he's worked really hard for everything that he has, but his boss has set up a GoFundMe for him to help fund the children's funerals as well as their gravestones. And to this, actually, a famous YouTuber by the name of Philip DeFranco had messaged Jason on Reddit because apparently Jason was a big fan of Philip DeFranco. Um, he would watch his videos very often. And same thing with his two children, Tyler and Charlie. They were also very big fans of Philip DeFranco. So Philip had actually reached out to Jason asking if it was okay if he could promote the GoFundMe on his YouTube channel channel and to help get his story out there. So Philip shared the GoFundMe to his millions of followers on Facebook to spread the word of Jason's story as well as again just trying to get donations. And at first, Jason had a goal of $20,000, but thanks to Philip DeFranco, he was able to raise over $56,000. And then on November 22nd of 2016, that is when Tyler and Charlie were put to rest, and they both had their own tombstone. On Charlie's tombstone, she had a little picture of Olaf because her favorite movie was Frozen and her favorite character from Frozen was Olaf. And then on Tyler's tombstone, he had a little caricature of Rowlet, which was Tyler's favorite Pokemon. 
And then six days after this, on November 28th of 2016, that is when Brandy was released to the hospital and was immediately sent to jail where she was arrested and charged with two counts of murder and was held at the Montgomery County Jail. So now that Brandy was sober and she was healthy, she was released from the hospital, that is when the police again brought her into questioning to get a clear story of what happened that night. Now, when Brandy started telling the story of what happened that night, the police started to notice a couple of inconsistencies with her story and one big inconsistency that they noticed. Jason had said that he had put both of his kids to bed in their separate rooms. He said that he tucked away and said goodnight to Tyler in Tyler's room and then did the same thing to Charlie in Charlie's room, yet both of the kids were found dead in Charlie's room. So how did Tyler even get to Charlie's room in the first place. And the police said that at first Brandy did show emotion and she seemed very devastated, but after three meetings and questionings, she became very cold and silent. She didn't want to talk about the situation at all anymore. And furthermore, throughout all of this, while she was awaiting trial, she was actually pleading not guilty due to reasons of insanity. She said that at the time of the crime, she was not in the right state of mind and this was due to all of her untreated mental illnesses. And so, whilst she was awaiting trial in March of 2017, the following year, that is when the divorce between Brandy and Jason became final. And then in January of 2018, two years later, that is when Brandy's trial had began and she was again still pleading not guilty due to reasons of insanity. And it was at this trial where the prosecutors would finally tell the real story of what happened that night on November 17th, as well as describing the crime to be premeditated. On the morning of November 16th, the day before the murders, they said that everything was indeed going per usual. Jason took the kids to school, he went to work, he got off early from work to attend Charlie's recital. The whole family went out to go see Charlie and then afterwards they all came home to have a family dinner. Tyler did say that he had a project due the next day that required pipe cleaners, so Brandy did indeed decide to go out to Walmart to get some pipe cleaners. But the police found through surveillance footage as well as receipts that pipe cleaners weren't the only thing that Brandy bought. Brandy, besides the pipe cleaners, also bought a $150 Kabar combat knife and this is the type of knife that is usually used for hunting animals or cutting the heads off of fishes while fishing. So this is a very heavy duty and expensive knife. And this action alone clearly shows premeditation. Nobody told Brandy to buy that knife. Even Jason himself wasn't a big hunter or a fisher. So this would make no sense for Brandy to buy something like this, especially $150. And there were many points for Brandy to pull back and say no. There were many points for her to say that this wasn't right. She shouldn't pursue this. And at this point, Brandy was indeed sober. She had not taken the Benadryl yet, so she was not under the influence, she made all of these decisions consciously and sober. And not only did she buy the knife, but she then decided to pursue the plan even after she got home. 
she came home and she hid the knife in Tyler's bedroom, which again shows her clearly knowing that what she was doing was wrong because why would she be hiding a knife if she felt that there was no reason to? So even at this point, Brandy still had the choice to stop what she was doing, but she didn't. Jason then tucked them into bed, gave them their bedtime stories, and went off to go to sleep in the basement. And after Jason had went to the basement, that is when Brandy took a bunch of Benadryl in hopes of being extremely high and out of it and not being able to remember anything. Once she started to feel all the Benadryl kick in, that is when she went upstairs to Tyler's room to grab the knife and that is when she lured Tyler into Charlie's room by telling Tyler if he wanted to have a sleepover in Charlie's room. Obviously, you know, Tyler is seven years old. When he hears the word sleepover, that's like a very happy buzzword. So he grabs his blanket, he grabs his pillow, and he walks over to Charlie's room. And when Tyler got into Charlie's bedroom, it was pitch black in there. She didn't turn on any lights. And that is when Brandy would continue to stab her seven-year-old son, Tyler. Due to all of this commotion, at one point, Charlie had woken up and looked at Brandy and said, quote, what are you doing? To which Brandy had replied with, quote, nothing, go back to sleep. And that is exactly what Charlie did. She just kind of turned over and went back to sleep. But unfortunately, that is when Brandy would also stab to death three-year-old Charlie. And so once both of her kids were covered up, that is when she attempted at stabbing herself in the neck before dropping the knife in the bedroom and walking downstairs to call her mother. She said that she called her mother and her mother said to her immediately, you know, call the police, call the police, tell them what you did. I'm on my way there right now. Just don't do anything. And that is what she did. Brandy hung up the phone and called the police. And then in the midst of her trial, Brandy was actually given two psychiatric evaluations to determine if she was one fit to stand trial and two if she was even eligible for the insanity plea to which the results of these evaluations basically said no she was completely of a sound mind she was completely fine even at the time of the crime although she was under a lot of benadryl when she was buying the knife when she made the decision to kill her kids and in the midst of her trial a last minute decision was made and then brandy then changed her plea to guilty because she had been given two psychiatric evaluations to see if she was one fit to stand trial and also if she was eligible for an insanity plea to which she was not. They determined that at the time of the crime and even the premeditation of the crime when she was buying the knife, when she was hiding the knife, she was indeed of a sober and sound mind. So she was not eligible for the insanity plea and that is when she just switched her plea to guilty. And then on March 19th, 2018, that is when Brandy Worley was found guilty of the murder of her two children, Tyler and Charlie. She was sentenced to 65 years for the murder of Charlie and 55 years to the murder of Tyler, which was a total of 120 years, aka a life sentence. When Jason was asked if there was anything he wanted to say before Brandy left to go off to prison, he stood up and all he said was, quote, All I care is to never see her again, out of sight and out of mind. 
And even to this day, as of 2022, Brandy still resides in the Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis, Indiana. As far as the aftermath of all of this, Jason did take to Reddit from a different account uh, back in 2019 to give an update to everyone of how he is. This is currently four years after the murder and one year after Brandy's trial. And his update is quite lengthy, but I am going to be reading it verbatim just because I feel like everything he says is super important. So this was back in 2019, he made this post and he said, quote, I am doing better and I continue to get better every day. The first thing you may notice is that this is being posted from a different account. I deleted my old account in a knee-jerk reaction to seeing my Reddit posts in the news. I guess the first question to answer is, how am I doing? And to that, I would say I'm doing well. I have bad days, but I would think that is to be expected. It is just important that I or anyone going through something continue to use the support of friends and family as well as good coping skills to not let myself be completely defeated on those bad days. I won't lie, I struggle to get back to where I am. For some time, I refused to sleep because of combination of fear of what I would wake up to and nightmares about that night. For a time, I used alcohol to sleep, but my family loved me enough to take it from me before it became a damaging and permanent habit. I was hospitalized because I did have thoughts of ending my life because I missed my children so much. From that, I learned that you should never be ashamed of your mental health and not seeking treatment will only make it worse, not better. We have all learned, but if you or a loved one is struggling, seek immediate assistance. Your life is too important to throw away in a moment of weakness. By putting off treatment, I only caused everything in my life to suffer. I lost my job and became reclusive to my house. But don't worry, I have been back to work since December, and I have recently regained my former position and salary. So I am good and require no assistance. The second question would be, how do I feel about the sentencing? That is something that is harder to answer because no matter what the sentence, nothing will bring back my beloved children. Do I think she should have gotten the death penalty? No, I do not. She wanted to die, and after nine years of giving her what she wanted when she wanted it, I was not going to give her another thing. Do I think the life sentence has any appreciable effect on her? I don't know. One thing she's always stressed for the entire time that I was with her was that she lived her life without any regrets. Even after I caught her cheating on me, she continued to say that she had no regrets. As for the ex-in-laws, they do continue to be a problem to this day. Shortly after everything happened, they changed the locks on my home I was renting from them with my property still inside. After trying to civilly negotiate the return of my property, it was required that I involve law enforcement. This was an ongoing legal battle. A member of the family accused me of stealing property I had purchased from them prior to the death of the children and threatened to take action against me unless I paid double of what I already had paid them. They continue to make visiting my children's grave difficult. During this one-year anniversary, they sat in their truck and just watched me the whole time I was visiting the grave. Because of that, I don't visit the grave as often as I would like to. If I can impart on you something I have learned throughout all of this, it is that you should always take the time to be with the ones you love. It doesn't matter if they're asking you to read The Pokey Little Puppy for the millionth time or asking you to play Smash Bros. Even though you both know they will wipe the floor with you every time, just do it because you never know what time will be your last. Always make sure they know how much you love them. 
I had the fortune of the last things my children ever heard from me was, quote, I love you. Good night. I will see you in the morning. So that was his 2019 update. And then after that, he had linked a bunch of articles and news outlets that he had worked with over the years to keep people, you know, up to date of what's happening and what had happened. And as of 2022, it is speculated that he is now happily remarried and even has kids within his new marriage. And it is kind of really happy to see that Jason is doing better. It's good to know that he's found love again. He has his own children again, so he still gets to experience all the beautiful things of fatherhood. He has his job back. He has his own home. And it's just really nice to see that Jason is, you know, in a lot better of a place now. And because of this case afterwards, a lot of people were trying to find the identity of the neighbor and saying that the neighbor was to blame but honestly at the end of the day no one is to blame in this situation except for Brandy. This is clearly all Brandy's fault. She was the one who decided everything. She was the one who committed the crime and it was her decision to buy the knife. It was her decision to hide the knife and then it was her decision to murder her own children. There was no one influencing her or telling her what to do. This was purely just all her own choices. And it's very apparent in this story that Brandy, since the very beginning, has exhibited a lot of evil behavior. She had made it known multiple times that she hadn't regretted or had any remorse for anything she does. She manipulated Jason into apologizing to the neighbor that she had cheated on him with. She seemed to have no remorse after cheating on Jason and furthermore told their son Tyler that daddy was mad at her and that's why they needed to leave the house. Instead of saying something like, well, daddy and mommy are actually going through something right now, but that's okay because we'll be together as a family again soon. It'll all be all right. And I feel like that specific instance really shows a lot about Brandy's character and how she views the situation. The fact that she said that it was Jason's fault and we are here because daddy is mad at me and this was something that daddy had done clearly showing no responsibility for herself, clearly showing that she has no remorse, and only showing blame to Jason. She feels that she has nothing to blame herself for. She feels that she was completely in the right the entire time, up until the point of murdering her own children. That was just a continuation of Brandy's evil nature, and I feel like with Brandy's evil nature, even if there was no neighbor that she was cheating, on him with, her evil nature would have been brought out sooner or later. Maybe it would have been triggered by the divorce papers, maybe it would have been something else, but I feel like she would have acted out either way. And so that's why at the end of the day, there is no one to blame but Brandy. And this whole case as a whole was very, very tough to research because they were just small children. I mean, Tyler was seven years old, Charlie was three years old, and that is just so 
violent and even the act of stabbing with how intimate that is it's so so hard to talk about to read about and when I was researching there was actually this news outlet that said that when the detectives were investigating the home they found a birthday card hidden in Tyler's room that was meant to be for Brandy their mother because their mom's birthday was coming up soon and the card read quote happy birthday mommy from Tyler and Charlie and it included two little pictures of them and in the card said quote you're so special mommy if ever any mommy was loved a whole bunch you must know who it is just bet you do and if ever any wish was filled with hugs and kisses this is and mommy you can bet they're all for you and then Happy birthday, Tyler and Charlie. So that card alone, again, really just shows how much Tyler and Charlie absolutely loved their mother. They really cared for her. They looked up to her. And the fact that Brandy did such a violent and gruesome crime like this is just so, so hard to wrap your head around. How someone could do something like this and doing it to sort of prove a point because Brandy had told Jason that the reason she killed the kids was so that he couldn't take the kids away from her. So this was Brandy's way of basically saying that she has the upper hand. She needs the upper hand. And I hope nothing but peace and prosperity for everyone that was affected by this situation, especially Jason. But as of 2022, Brandy is still in jail. Jason seems to be doing better. And it's very, you know, hard to hear that even to this day, he still has to suffer like that, that he can't even see his own kids without Brandy's family making him feel very uncomfortable. So that is very troubling to hear. But other than that, it's very nice to hear that all the way around, he seems to be doing very well. That is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you are on YouTube or if you are on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot. Happy 2023 to everyone. I believe this is my first podcast episode of 2023, so thank you for such a wonderful year in 2022, and I can't wait to have an even better year in 2023. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your morning, afternoon, night, whenever you are watching this or listening to this. Make sure to get outside today, get some fresh air, be safe out there, um, even if it's like raining towards you. Listen to the rain patter, open up a window, clean your room, eat your favorite food, do whatever makes you happy today. And with that being said, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I will see you guys next week.